Welcome to The Loop with Stan Guthrie. As an author and communicator, Stan offers a critical and often humorous look at the day's issues, all from a distinctly Christian perspective. From his home studio in Chicagoland, where it snows far too often for his tastes, Stan cheerfully takes on all comers in a culture that is losing its mind without losing his. And now, here is Stan Guthrie. D.L. Moody was one of the great Christian evangelists of the 19th century. He founded Moody Bible Institute and many other great institutions that are still with us today. And he was known as someone who had a heart for the souls of the lost. No one could question his commitment to evangelism. Well, I should say, there's a story of one lady who did, and this is how it went. After a service, she came up to the great man and said, I don't like the way you do evangelism. Moody responded, I rather don't care for it myself. That's pretty modest, isn't it? Tell me, he continued, how do you do evangelism? The woman said, well, I don't. Moody replied, well, madam, I rather prefer the way I do evangelism versus the way that you do not do it. I'm reminded of this story as I Consider the responses to the He Gets Us campaign about Jesus. We've been seeing ads all over the place, and we saw a couple of them during the Super Bowl. Here's one of them. It's called Be Childlike, and it has a variety of clips of children being kind to one another, shielding cats from the rain. There's a showing of that famous clip where a little black boy and a little white boy run together and hug each other. I mean, it's just a warm-hearted thing. it says Jesus didn't want us to act like adults he gets us now as you might expect the response from secular progressives has not been warm Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the New York congresswoman said that she didn't think Jesus would want to have millions of dollars spent on ads that promoted fascism <laughs> now, anyone who's objective and not trying to grind up political acts would see that these are not political ads, although, you know, they are sponsored by the, the Green family and others who wish to remain anonymous, and it's not surprising why they'd want to remain anonymous with reactions like that. People magazine, for its part, said the real story behind the He Gets Us Jesus ads that aired during the Super Bowl. An organization behind a series of pro-Jesus ads that aired during the Super Bowl is reportedly helping bankroll anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ legislation. So that's the big reveal from people. So there's all kinds of nasty responses like that, taking the ads for what they are not. 
interesting to me, and going back to the D.L. Moody anecdote, I've been surprised and really disappointed by the reaction of some Christians, certainly not all, but some Christians say that they are heretical because they don't present the real Jesus. They just put Jesus on a human plane and say that he's just interested in the political things that we are. <laughs> you can't get that from the wording. And, you know, some of the pictures subtly uh, challenge or even criticize both sides of the political spectrum, both left and right. And apparently some Christians don't like that. And I honestly think that's kind of crazy and it's kind of pharisaical. It reminds me of those who stood by while Jesus was helping the poor. He was healing the blind. He was feeding the hungry. He was presenting the kingdom of God. And all they could do was stand back and criticize and not see the work of God around them. The fact is, we have lost a lot of the culture. The church has lost it. because Not only because of our own missteps, but just the way secularism and then spiritualism of a non-Christian variety have spread. And so I see these ads as an effective form of pre-evangelism. You know, sure, it costs a lot of money, and maybe we could be feeding the poor with a lot of that money, but that kind of reminds me of the criticism of Judas. It's the Green families and other people's money to try to get Jesus out there in this He Gets Us campaign. And I think it's really kind of refreshing and exciting to present Jesus in a new way. No, there's no four-point gospel outline. We don't lead people through the Nicene Creed to tell them the essentials of the faith. But if we can get some people talking about Jesus, thinking about Jesus, that's a really good thing, don't you think? Of course, if that's going to happen, the church is going to have to be up to the task. When people come to us and say, did you see those ads? Would you think about them? Or maybe we could even take a risk and do that ourselves. Talking with our friends and neighbors who don't know Christ, say, did you see those ads during the Super Bowl? What do you think about them? I think that's a great thing. And then it's up to us to give them more information, to close the sale, as it were. I know Jesus kind of did this kind of thing in his ministry while he was on the earth. And the parables are full of that. You know, they don't give a full story of who he was. Some tell more than others. And then it says that privately he explained everything to his disciples, to those who wanted to know. And maybe we can do the same thing. What do you think? Let's not stand back and throw stones and say, oh, this could have been better, or this is heretical, or this is woke. I don't think it's any of those things. I think it's an opportunity to share Jesus with a culture that has uh, largely forgotten about his relevance, not just for our salvation, but for everything, for our deepest hungers and needs. The fact is, our culture has really lost its way when it comes to understanding the Christian faith. Media researcher Amy Watson reported that in 2021, only 11% of the over 3,000 Christians surveyed read their Bible every day. That's Christians. <laughs> you can imagine what the rest of the culture is doing. 46% of Christians, according to her survey, read the Bible between less than once a year and once a week. Now, Lifeway had a survey a few years ago. It was called, Americans are fond of the Bible, don't actually read it. That only 4 in 10 say it's a book worth reading over and over, while 13% say it's worth reading once. Well, you know, how are we going to reach these people? Even if they have Bibles on their shelves, they're not reading them. So maybe we need to 
approach them in ways they do understand, and that may be through videos and commercials, like He Gets Us campaign. So let's just think about it, and let's be open for the opportunities that God gives us through things like this. And if they're not our cup of tea, that's okay too. Not everybody's going to agree about everything. But if not, then we need to find other fresh and creative ways to present the old, old story. So as I wrap up this segment, let me share with you the other clip that ran during the Super Bowl. It's titled, Love Your Enemies. And couldn't we use a little bit more of that? Maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this and see what's behind Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see it clearer, or are you deceived? In what you believe? Cause I'm only human after all with words Jesus loved the people we hate he gets us that's a great message don't you think it doesn't say everything about Christ but it's a start and I think D.L. Moody would approve And now on to another subject that on the surface seems very good, but which is provoking some skeptical questioning. I speak, of course, of the Asbury Revival, which started February 8th, a Wednesday, during a regular chapel service, and has been going on every day, drawing hundreds, if not thousands of people, not only from Asbury, but from different parts of the country. I find it very exciting Many of the revivals in the past in America have started as student movements. I can think of the student volunteer movement early in the 20th century, which sparked a wave of missions involvement. Asbury had another revival back in 1970. Here in my area, Wheaton College had a fairly significant revival in 1995. So God is known to work among young people, and that's fantastic. Unfortunately, there are some who are criticizing her, saying there's not enough Bible or not enough talk about Jesus. I'm not there. I can't say for sure. But the testimonies that I've heard on social media online from a few people I know make me believe that this is real, that God is working, and we need to support it in prayer and with the joy in our hearts. And we need to ask that God would bring revival to our hearts, to our areas, As I live near Wheaton, I'm praying that revival would again come to Wheaton, not only the students, but the staff and faculty as well. We need times of refreshing. We need the Spirit's power, not just our own power or our own good thoughts or good plans. We need God to make a way for us 
not only to revive our own hearts, but to reach our neighbors with the love of Christ. So just a couple of quick thoughts about, you know, how real this revival might be. One thing I would say is that a real revival is accompanied by a real repentance. And I think that's happening. That's not a big topic of discussion among most young people today or most old people today for that matter. But the kids in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury seem to be repenting. They seem to have a deeper hunger for Christ. So we'll know, looking in the rearview mirror, maybe in a few months or a few years, how real this was and whether it got corrupted by, you know, the character qualities that we see come out of it, the fruit that comes out of it. Is there going to be more passion for Christ? Is there going to be more evangelism and missions and telling our neighbors and our parents and our friends that Jesus is the most important thing in our lives? One thing that Josh Moody talked about, and Josh is one of my former pastors at College Church. I no longer go there. He's a student of Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian of the 18th century. He was really the first American Christian expert on revival. He wrote a treatise on religious affections in response to the Great Awakening of the 1740s. And there were questions about how real it was, whether Satan was involved, what are the signs of a true revival. And he said that the fruit is really what determines whether that's true. Anyway, Josh said there are two ways that a lot of people look at it, skepticism and uncritical acceptance. And I probably lean more toward the uncritical acceptance, knowing that these things can be taken over by satanic forces or simply be a product of religious enthusiasms, as Jonathan Edwards said sometimes happens. But he said, you know, regardless of one of those two poles, we need to add to the fire of revival, the fuel of revival, and that's the word of God. That's what is going to keep it on track. And so let's not stand back and be critical, but let's pray for God to continue to move, to continue to keep it on track with the scripture and with a focus on Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. And let's pray for revival to come in our own hearts and in our own churches, first of all, and also the uh, Christian institutions that we're a part of. Before I close this segment, I want to just let you hear a little bit of some of the excitement that's going on at Asbury right now. Perhaps it'll fire your heart to pray earnestly for revival where you are. And then chapel starts, and immediately we just see people flooding in. And God said, revival isn't hype. It's ordinary people who are hungry. It's ordinary people who are hungry. And he said, Gage, I'm going to need you to go to the altar. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the altar. (laughs) And he's like, go to the altar. And I go to the altar and worship starts. And he's like, this is revival. Look left. And I look left. And there's this young college woman getting prayed over by an older woman. And he says, look right. And then there's this young guy praying over an older guy. And he says, look behind you. And everyone's just raising their hands. And he said, Gage, this is revival. It isn't hype. It's ordinary people crying out for a move of God in our generation. And I'm here to talk to everybody in this room who is hungry. What an honor. What an honor it is to be here. Revival's real. It isn't just a story we've heard about. It's 
come. And it's not just come here today, but it's about to spread out to the nations. It's about to spread out to the United States. And I'm here to talk to every young person in this room. I just gave my life a year and a half ago to Christ, and it has been the greatest thing I have ever done. I left everything, and I'm here to talk to every young person in this room. Forget the job, forget the girl, forget the guy, forget everything. He's worthy, he's worthy, and I'm here. And I'm just saying, oh, it's such an honor. If you don't feel that joy inside of you, I don't know what's going on. It's real. Amen. I love you guys. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, I'm not sure what will. Let's praise God for what he's doing there, and let's pray that it stays on track and, and spreads. And now for some headlines, both in and out of the loop. First headline, the Centers for Disease Control is reporting an epidemic of suicidal thoughts and attempts by young girls. Also increased numbers of girls who are reporting incidents of sexual violence. These were responses to the CDC's biannual Youth Risk Behavior Survey. They are collected in the fall of 2021, offering the first look at trends since the start of the pandemic. According to the survey, most teen girls, 57%, felt persistently sad or hopeless. Double the rate for teen boys, which was 29%. Nearly one in three teen girls seriously considered attempting suicide. One in three. Both rates increased dramatically over the past decade, according to the CDC. According to Dr. Deborah Hori, CDC's chief medical officer, these data show a distressing picture. America's teen girls are engulfed in a growing wave of sadness, violence, and trauma. The state of Illinois is advertising how great it is. According to one recent online ad, it says, thanks to the leadership of Illinois Democrats, we are developing a sound economy, funding public safety, and strengthening public health infrastructure across our state. Well, if it were so good here, I don't think they'd need an ad campaign to convince us of this, and I don't think that 141,000 Illinoisans would have left last year. <laughs> I, I would think they'd be pouring in if it were so great. According to former All-Pro tight end Rob Gronkowski, he passed out during his pre-draft visit with the Patriots in 2010 because he partied too hard the night before and got drunk. He said, I didn't know one single thing. My mind was shut off. The Patriots still drafted him. Let me just say that I wish the interview process for a normal job were that forgiving. Overheard on Twitter, a man says, my wife is bisexual and non-binary and my daughter is transgender. My queer family helped me better understand myself and my masculinity. All I can say is when God is absent from the human heart, devil is only too willing to fill the vacuum. And according to Wirepoints, a conservative news site, not a single student can do math at grade level in 53 Illinois schools. For reading, it's 30 schools. That's not a single student in any of those schools. This education data comes from the ISBE News. Paul Vallis, 
who is among the handful of candidates seeking to replace Lori Lightfoot as Chicago's mayor and probably the most conservative one, although all are Democrats, of course. A Republican cannot be elected in Chicago. He says, attempting to keep his liberal bona fides current, I will ensure that Chicago remains a safe haven for women seeking abortions, address the horrific disparities in access to maternal care for minority women, and incentivize our city as a home for reproductive health practitioners. Is he talking about abortion clinics as reproductive health practitioners? There's nothing reproductive in abortion. It stops reproduction by killing the baby. And now one more headline. It's a little more upbeat. Hell is not other people, Harvard discovers. Quote, close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives. So that's it for this week. See you next time. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on The Loop with Stan Guthrie.